And then when I finished high school, I got a job where one of my responsibilities was to work on the annual summer camp on the island of Utea. And Utea is a stunningly beautiful island. It's a place for young people to discuss politics, but most importantly, it's a place to make new friends, have fun, and enjoy summer. After the bomb went off in Oslo, I called my mom, and the first thing she said was, I think you guys are the next target. Seconds later, I heard something that sounded like fireworks, and a huge group of people came running towards me. And I bought the last four boxes of my purple stuff. <laughs> so there's like 45 powder packets in that cupboard. Oh my God. Yeah, it's, okay. it's great crystal light, which is the elite flavor. Mm -hmm. Come for me. I don't care. Honestly, that kind of reminds me of what me and Sean are like now. I mean, like I tell people all the time too, like I know some people make fun of me for like, oh, you still drink Monster Energy. I'm like, you know what? Tastes oh, good, okay? I can't drink Red Bull without assuming that I'm drinking alcohol with it because I've taken way too many Red Bull vodka shots. It makes me want to vomit. I can't just sit there and drink a Red Bull. So me and Sean, I mean, we still drink energy drinks pretty much on a regular basis, which I know I'm a nurse and they're bad for you, whatever. But we've resorted now to the point of actually we just bulk buy them off of Amazon because we're that lazy. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. So it's the green can right now for us because there's like 24 in my fucking fridge. Did you know they have a variety pack now of the watermelon and the green? Yeah, yeah. We, I got that one from Fry's one time. And I like the watermelon, but he only likes drinking the green. I'm not as picky, but he only drinks these ones. So have you had the gold one yet? The yeah, I have the yet? pineapple. Oh, so good. It is good. And then I always like my OG, like the low carb ones, because I just like I actually like the flavor. And like I said, I don't give a fuck what people think. Yeah, same. And I have like people give me shit. And I'm like, listen, Judy, no offense <laughs> to all the Judy's out there. I'm like, I drink one of these a day if that, and you have they're on like your 10th cup of coffee. So fuck off. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like, I'll switch over to like my Starbucks drink every once in a while, but lately they've been fucking it up. So I go through phases and then, and did they not Starbucks have your oat milk again? Well, yeah. My Starbucks and fries of all places. I literally, did I tell you the last time that I actually went and when I got it, they said they didn't have oat milk. I was like, can you give me it without the oat milk then? And I'll just go fucking down this like aisle right here and buy some. And so the uh -huh. girl did, she made it without the oat milk. <laughs> well, there's a fun thing. I'm pretty sure you told me that story. And we have it yeah. recorded. I promise I won't be eating this whole thing. But hi, everybody. <laughs> um, welcome back. As you can see, we wore the exact same outfits in the last episode because we were recording both of these in the same day. Um, I also just really like this shirt. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it looks fabulous on you. Um, I had to like tuck the front part of my hair behind my ear because I didn't the curl wasn't as curly as I wanted it to be. And I kept fucking with it in the last episode. Oh, yeah. I like, hate that. It's always like the front pieces too. And that like, it's a rare, rare occurrence for me to actually like when I curl the front pieces and it turns uh -huh. out okay. Most of the time I'm like, you I have to like redo it five times. And it's still like, it pisses me off. Cause it's like, it doesn't match. Mm -hmm. Oh, not true. Maybe I won't touch my hair as much, but we'll find out. Anyway. I look at the same shout out. To our same listeners, our awesome patients, because it's been a whole 20 minutes and I don't think the stats have changed, if I'm being honest. Let me pull up our lovely little chart. 
And as I said in last week's episode, um, by the time you guys are hearing this, it's going to be like October 1st. All right. We're in the, we're in the first week of spooky season in October. Um, it's also Libra season. So shout out to the Libras. Um, and I have a special surprise for you. This episode today is going to be a little different and we'll get into that in just a second. But what I want to know is for the whole month of October, I would love it because someone's going to send me an email. We talked about this in the last episode. Um, I really want that email. Um, what are your spooky season traditions? Like, does your family celebrate Halloween? Do they not celebrate Halloween? Is that something big, like from where you're from in your city, your community, your country, whatever? I would love to know how you guys celebrate spooky season because what I would like to do and do it as like a gift for me. Halloween is my birthday. I'm a Halloween baby. So I now applause and I'm also a Scorpio loud and proud. Um, I would love to read off those stories or those traditions um, for like a bonus, like Halloween episode. I think that'd be super fun to do. And I can't do such your guys' help. So putting that out there, it's literally the beginning of the month. So I didn't procrastinate, but anyway, moving on. Hello and welcome. Um, and also, I'm really bad at doing this, so bear with me. Uh, welcome to all of our current listeners, and we're so happy that you're here. And if you're new here, welcome. Welcome to the psych ward. Our head nurse is Shannon, um, and she, our head charge nurse, I'm sorry, let me be specific. She is here to keep us all in check, mm-hmm. um, and I am not. So Hello and welcome to everyone listening in India, the United Kingdom, Russia, Belgium, Canada, Mexico, Sweden, Nigeria, France, Ireland, Italy, El Salvador, Germany, the Philippines, and everyone in between. Because it's a miscellaneous section, so I just, whatever. Um, hello to everyone in the United States, currently listening from Arizona, California, Florida, Colorado, Texas, Georgia, Wisconsin, Virginia, Nevada, Washington, South Carolina, New York, Oklahoma, Minnesota, Montana, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, Nebraska, Utah, North Carolina, Maryland, New Jersey, Michigan, Illinois, Oregon, New Hampshire, and Indiana. So hello, 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 and welcome, everybody. We're so happy that you came back, or welcome if this is your first time here. Um, we're happy to have you. Um, Sweet. Did you want to add anything to that? I'm excited for the day that we could say hello to all 50 states, and that'd be it. <laughs> it's gonna happen we're gonna say it. It, it obviously it's gonna happen um I'm very much looking forward to that yeah I was like how did I make it go full screen again I figured it out internet is hard um and by this point you guys are going to be watching this on YouTube because our YouTube channel will be up by now and if you're not well that's a shame for you because we look fabulous um but you can listen to our awesome voices and that will have to do I apologize in advance for my messy room in the background. Every once in a while, the lighting changes. <laughs> I don't know why. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, there, there's the background of my room. Great. Yep. Mother nature is like <laughs> jokes on you. Yeah, it's not. I guess it's, it could be a lot worse. I have a hamper over there. I'm human. I hate putting laundry nice. away. <laughs> so my, uh, my seating situation has changed from my chair to a I'm so chair. mad we didn't get that on video. Uh, so I went okay so I came back from getting snacks and more purple water and I go to sit in this chair the swing chair and the thing fucking breaks 
and I just fall flat on my ass. Thank God I had put my drink down before that. <laughs> and I I'm so sad too, because I wasn't even paying attention. I was too busy with my fucking candle that doesn't want to stay lit. Yeah. And I was like, literally just told Shannon, I was like, you know, I was considering not stopping the recording and just letting it run through both episodes. But I was like, it's going to be really hard to kind of differentiate between the two when we're editing. So I, I'll just turn it off. And then I didn't turn it back on and we didn't get it on camera. So I'm so unfortunate. mad at that. People would have okay. been on my armpit because I was like stretching over to try to get to the stupid candle. I literally look back and she's like on the ground and I see like an arm up like this. I'm like, what did you just fall? Oh, Penny, we love. Oh, yeah, on oh, my armpit, <laughs> which is shaved now because I finally was able to shave my armpits. So <laughs> oh, good for you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we, like I said, we got in Monday, like six in the morning, but we came from, um, we, so it's like, I threw away, cause I have like one of those flamingo razors and I like depo- disposed of like the first thing. And I was like, all right, I'll just get some more when we get to Florida, get here. And I was like, Hey, I ordered them on Amazon and they weren't going to get here. They didn't get here until yesterday. So I was like, I'll just have to wait. And then I also got like, um, like hair remover cream or whatever. And I was like, right, we'll see. So like, I got that too. Nothing arrived till yesterday. And so like today I was like, glorious shower. I'm going to feel so clean <laughs> and I feel fabulous. So I even curled my hair for you. So there you go. I know it looks so good. I thought about doing my hair, but I definitely did not wake up early for that. I realized today that this is the first time we've recorded where my hair wasn't up. So <laughs> I know I, I didn't realize my luscious locks. the first two times we recorded, I had like my hair like crimped and I was like, I normally don't like crimp my hair on a regular basis, but it just so happened that both the times. And so, yes, this is my natural hair. It is very straight. Yeah. And I'm a dirty garbage human. So, I mean, the first time we reported, I hadn't washed my hair in like a week. So it was nasty. Second time I was just lazy. And this time I'm like, I shaved my armpits. So Hmm. small wins. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So now that everyone's severely grossed out, let's jump into this week's episode I told you there we go I had told you 30 minutes ago (laughs) that I'm about to make you very depressed and I am this is a very I feel very much like Christine sometimes I'm just like that was a really great story you just told me and I'm about to make you really depressed so (laughs) full circle here we go if you guys haven't noticed we're a huge fan that's why we drink so and then Christine, if you ever listen to this, we're a huge fan of yours. Anyway, I have no shame. I'll say it. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you, oh, so the whole spooky thing, my whole spooky theme for Halloween is instead of doing my normal um, zodiac sign, going by that and like zodiac sign, Chinese zodiac sign, all that kind of stuff. For our lovely spooky season, I have decided to go in a more monster direction. So when we think of Halloween and we think of horror movies, what come, like who comes to mind when you think of like classic Halloween horror movies? Well, obviously Halloween, like Michael Myers, for sure. Like that, that would be one of them. Um, you got all like the, the, the classics, like Freddy, Freddy versus Jason, all that stuff. And like Scream. Those are the big ones. I know like the 
for like our generation, like Hocus Pocus is really big and that new one's coming out on the 30th. Mm-hmm. Is that potentially one week in case I'm, anybody I'm not working that day so I am very grateful for that I hate when I have to work on like when things premiere I feel like I'm missing out on everything um, well, I guess by this point it's already going to be out so let us know did you like it yeah yeah we'll definitely be watching I know I will yeah we'll give it a full review yes um from like the little clips I've seen like on like TikTok and stuff like that it looks like it's gonna be pretty funny so but then of course you know you wonder like are those like the only funny scenes and they're actually just showing those and that's it <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, those are kind of the things I think. Yeah. And you're in the right direction. So I decided to kind of go with, okay, so let's take some of these iconic because the whole Ed Gein thing really gave me this inspiration. Cause like Ed Gein, if you haven't listened to that episode, go back to episode 21, I think. Yes. No. 19. 19. Yeah. You were 20. Yep. I was 20. Okay. Go back to episode 19, um, after this episode, of course, um, where you also rate, like subscribe and give us five stars. Cause you really love this podcast. Thanks. Um, <laughs> and, uh, shameless plug. So Ed Gein inspired a bunch of characters, right? He inspired the Buffalo Bill character. He was inspiration for Norman Bates. He was inspiration for, um, the silence of the lambs. I mean, I, that's Buffalo Bill anyway, but or Leatherface, that's what I'm thinking of. So he was inspiration for like all these people. And I was like, okay, that was a real person who inspired characters. Are there any real life events that are similar to these fictional characters? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be covering um, something similar. Before I, before I give you a hint of what I'm getting into, I have a question for you, Shannon. Okay. What was your life like what were you doing in the world of 2011? Oh, I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. Graduated high school and I started college. So exciting points in your life, right? Yeah. We were friends at that point too. Just so you guys mm-hmm. know. <laughs> we were. Um, <laughs> right. So when I think about like, what was I doing in 2011? I was like, um, cause we're, I'm a year behind her. So I was a junior in high school. Um, well, I guess where this, this, this case takes place was during the summer. So I would have been going into my senior year, right? Mm-hmm. I was working my part-time job and yeah, that's what I was doing. I was working retail and I was going to school um, and obviously partying with my friends, but yeah, it's fine. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so I found inspiration for this week's episode because I want to see was there anything that could relate to Jason Voorhees and his story Mm. so for those of you who don't know who Jason Voorhees is he is obviously a fictional character in the Friday the 13th movies and his origin story starts as he's the son of one of the cafeteria workers at Camp Crystal Lake and he's bullied by all of the other kids at the camp and he is disfigured and he's just I mean this this takes place in like what general what I guess I mean his would have been like the 50s maybe when he dies but basically he he's bullied and he falls into the lake he falls into camp crystal lake and he dies supposedly and then he comes back and he wreaks havoc on this lake and 
that's his whole thing. And right. And there's a whole other thing to it. And a lot of people die. So he massacres people at summer camps. Mm -hmm. So this is where I'm going to give everyone a trigger warning. Um, the case I'm about to cover, uh, does involve mass murder. It does involve the mass murder of minors, um, as young as 14. So I understand that can be very heavy material. Um, and some people may not want to listen to that. So if that's not something you want to listen to, you're welcome to go to last week's episode and re-listen to Shannon's awesome story. You can also go back to our awesome Disney story. And that was episode 20. So you can kind of skip this week's episode if that's not what you want to listen to. Um, what I'm about to cover can be very heavy for some parents. Um, and it's a relatively recent case. So we'll, I'll be, I'll be interested to see if you, if you know what I'm going to cover. So I have, all right, let's just go ahead and go into it. Lisa Husby awoke in the middle of the night, sweat soaking through her clothes, tears streaming down her cheeks and her heart ready to explode from her chest. Frantically, she's looking around her room and she realizes that she's at home. She's tucked safely in her bed and far, far away from the man who simultaneously haunted her dreams and changed the course of her life forever. That fatal day on July uh, 22nd, 2011, left 77 families destroyed and all survivors questioning if they should send their children to summer camp next year or not. I will be covering the case of um, the 2011 um, Norway attacks. I can't believe I forgot the word. Norway attacks committed by Anders um, Breivik. That's, that is a name he goes by. That's not his full name. Um, there's a lot of these words that are going to be in Norwegian. So I apologize if I fuck them up. Um, anyone listening in Norway, please correct me. I would love to be totally correctly roasted. I will mm -hmm. happily take that. Um, I just want to say, I actually, I actually saw this story and I was like, that'd be a good one. So I was on the same track mind as you. Yes. So, um, okay. So how, how familiar are you with the story? I mean, I barely just like, I read like a little snippet about it. I just saw that, you know, about the 77, um, children and the massacre. And like, you don't really hear, like, that's what kind of caught my eyes. You don't really hear of a whole lot of that really going on in Norway or in that region, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I, from what I've heard, it's a fairly, fairly low crime rate in those regions of the, the world, like the, those kind of countries. So the fact that something this extreme happened, I think is what made it really stand out for me too. Yes. So, um, you're absolutely right. And I remember hearing about this, like it wasn't, I mean, obviously it's not an American case, but it's, it was a huge deal like across the world. Um, yeah. Yeah. and I'll, I'll get into it later, but like when the prime minister released a statement addressing what had happened after he was captured, you know, Barack Obama made a statement back to him, like people around the world were making like my condolences. This is what we're talking about. So it was a huge deal across the world, especially because yeah, Norway isn't really known for any kind of high crime, especially mass murder to that degree. Um, and he, I don't know, I'll be interested to, to see what you think, um, about, um, Anders and we'll, we'll go from there. I mean, I do call him, I may, is it Anders? I want to call him Brevik. We'll see. I mean, a lot of my sources just use the name 
um, Brevik. So I might just call him that, but I might call him Anders. We'll see. Um, oh, I wanted to send you a photo before we get into like the gross details. So do you remember the X-Files? Mm-hmm. Okay. So Anders looks like, he looks like David uh, Dechovny, whatever his name is. He looks like Agent Fox Mulder from the X-Files. <laughs> and I was like, I can't, I can't unsee this. So I was like, I need to send his photo to Shannon. Um, it just, I can't unsee it. Okay. Add to photos. And once you see it, you won't be able to unsee it. Okay. Okay, you should have it. <laughs> That's me. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. That, that Minus hair, the blonde hair, but yeah. <laughs> but he's not, I mean, I guess he's a celebrity, but not in a good way. Uh. So that's the, the one the one note I wanted to make. Um, so he did murder 77 people. He, and he injured almost like 300 other people in his one-day crime spree, which is kind of bananas. Um, his method of killing was bombing and shooting. And we're going to kind of jump into his early life because I feel this plays a huge part, obviously, in what happens to him, what he does later on. But it's also after he's arrested it's also very interesting I'm, I'm really interested to see like your perspective okay so Anders was born in Oslo which is the capital of Norway um on February 13th 1979 um he's the son of Wench Berding she was a nurse uh Berring 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 I think it's time uh and Jens David um Breivik, which is his dad and his dad was a civil economist who worked as a diplomat for the Norwegian embassy in London and later in Paris. So pretty successful parents, right? Mm -hmm. um, pretty cultured parents. Um, but during her pregnancy with Anders, um, mind you, he has an older half-sister. So he does have a sister. And it's very interesting to me because I don't hear anything about how their mom feels about her daughter. But she felt, um, she just decided that like Anders was trying to like kill her. And like she developed this really weird like hatred for her son while he was in utero. Um, she, uh, she claimed that he was like a nasty child with her words. Like he was a nasty child and he was, kicking her on purpose like inside the womb like that would normally make mom happy right like feel your yeah. baby kick and she's like fuck this kid like not having it i mean i have heard some pregnant women though say like it fucking sucks when they like get kicked in the bladder or the spine or the ribs so maybe he was like yeah. purpose like that was his favorite place to kick <laughs> yeah but i doubt they were like i want this child dead yeah that's a little extreme yeah, which is what she wanted. Um, she actually wanted to abort him, but by the time she made it back to uh, Norm, like I want to say Normandy, and that's not the place; it's Norway. Uh, but by the time she made it back to Norway from the UK, she was already too far along in her pregnancy. She was like over three months, and she wasn't able to. So mm. that's kind of where his early life starts, and it doesn't get any better, right? Um, there, are, like, anyway. 
So she says he was fundamentally nasty and an evil child. And these are quotes. So this is all her. I'm not just making this up. So fundamentally nasty. He's an evil child. Um, and he was determined to destroy her. That's what she claimed this little infantile baby was there to do. So I'm like, Antichrist? Is that what you're saying? Mm. I don't think a newborn has that thought process, but right. I've never had a baby. Maybe I'm wrong. You guys tell me. Um, she also, she also reported that she stopped breastfeeding him really early on when he was a newborn, because she said every time that he would latch onto her breast, uh, she felt that he was sucking the life out of her. No, my thing is like, what made him so different from her first child? So I want to fucking know, like she, a little bit about her, which is I'm glad you asked because we're actually going to talk a little about her, right? Like, um, blah. Anders' mom, she fled an abusive home when she was 17 years old. So she comes from an abusive household. Um, but soon after fleeing, she becomes a pregnant teenager. So she becomes a, a teenage mom. And it isn't until she's in her 30s that she marries Anders' dad. And then she has him. So he doesn't really have any, he even says it too. He doesn't really have a relationship with his older sister because there's such a gap mm -hmm. between them. Um, but it's like, she, we don't know who her dad is. So she flees, so she comes from an abusive household and she has this first child and then she gets remarried and then she has the second child and she's like, fuck that kid. So I don't really know if it's like hatred towards men or something. Um, yeah. Like here, here's my theory. She was a teen mom. She never got to live her youth. She gets remarried in her thirties. Her kids at this point, like, I mean, her daughter's what? Like 13 at this point? No, 17. She's basically an adult at this mm -hmm. point. If she's in her thirties and she has Anders and, um, her Andres, Andres, Anders, I'm gonna say Anders. It's white ignorance, whatever. American ignorance. It's fine. Um, so her daughter's old enough to take care of herself. And maybe she was like, I can finally live my life a little bit. You know, I can, you know, live life with my husband and then she gets pregnant. So maybe there's a little bit of that, but it's also like what point in her pregnancy did her hatred form? Because it didn't happen when she was pregnant. Yeah. That had to be like some pretty early on resentment. I feel like. Right. I don't, uh, I don't know what the hell happened there, but it's really weird that she kind of like flipped, right? Right. So she has him and then um, he spent the first year of his life in London and then his parents divorced and they, here's this whole weird thing with his like custody. It just, it's going to get fucking weirder. So she already hates this kid. She wanted to abort him. So obviously so she's trying to destroy me. He wants to kill me. You would think when they got divorced and they go to court for custody, she'd be like, you fucking take the kid, right? Right. She gets full custody of this kid. She wanted it though, but I mean, like that's a, did the court just like force her? I think it's a, I think it's, there's some disdain towards men. I think there's like, you can't beat me, right? Like I have to beat you in a court battle. You know what I mean? Like if, if she just lets, um, what's his name, his dad 
Jen. I already forgot his name. Jen's. Ha, I was right. So if she just lets Jen's take Anders and she kept her, I mean, her daughter's basically an adult at this point. Um, then it's like another man's taking control or taking something from her. Like, I don't really know much about her abuse of childhood, but there's like this weird, this weird thing with men that I think is going on here. And she's like, you're not going to take that from me, even if I don't want it. It's a very childish thing. Yeah. So she wins somehow full custody of this kid and she moves him and their, and her daughter back to Norway. Right. Um, the year is now 1981. Um, Anders is two and his mom, um, she applies for welfare benefits, specifically monetary payments or financial aid. Um, so kind of, I guess, I don't really know how their whole financial like welfare aid works. Like I know we have like food stamps in the States, Mm. but it sounds like if that's an option, she opted out of it. She just wanted money or any kind of financial aid. Um, I also don't know how hospitals work out there because I'm just like, I mean, you're a single mom of two kids. I mean, the daughter still lived with her. So I'm guessing she wasn't paying anything. And she applied um, for respite care of her son. I'm not really sure what respite is. Oh, um, I know. It's, um, it's actually respite. Respite. Okay. Educate me. What's respite? So respite care. So there, it's really common in like elderly people too. Um, you can have it for kids as well or any kind of like, dependent basically. So like, you know, you have somebody with special needs, you have the elderly who, um, maybe require a lot of care, that kind of stuff. So when I used to work in home health care, I would do what we call our respite visits. And what that is, is like, especially nowadays in the U S like it's becoming more and more popular to really acknowledge the fact that there is a lot of caregiver strain basically. And you get a lot of exhaustion from it. So if you're have a loved one that you're constantly caring for and constantly having to do everything for like your, their primary caregiver. Um, it actually causes a lot of strain on like you mentally. Um, that's where you see like a lot of people become abusive. Um, they do a lot of neglect because they just, they're just physically so exhausted from doing everything. So a lot of insurance companies now too will offer it. So like when I would do respite visits, sometimes it'd be something as simple as making sure they ate lunch or making sure they got a shower you know, stuff like that. Or like, I know with kids too, it's like, you know, help with like the developmental stuff, you know, or just watching them for a short period of time, almost like a babysitter. So that way the primary caregiver, whether it be the parent or whoever it may be, has that moment to take care of themselves. So mentally, they're not just like fully exhausted, you know? Got it. If if that makes sense. I don't, I'm assuming it's going to probably mean the same thing for them too. In Norway, it's something similar to long lines. Is it from what you've researched? Yeah, it's similar because their child services gets involved and some neighbors right, yeah. get involved that are helping take care of her son, which is when child services gets involved. Yeah. So, um, I mean, maybe it was like a really problem child and they re- like recognize that and you're like, Hey, you know, I know it's really exhausting. So here's some help, you know? Interesting. Well, thank you. Shannon's knowledge segment. This is why we enjoy having <laughs> uh, our, our nurse, our head charge nurse on the show. Um, I know, I know a thing or two about some things and that's it. (laughs) (laughs) And I am like a jack of all trades. I know a little bit about a lot, but I don't know everything about one thing. (laughs) Okay. So she applies for respite care of her son. Um, She says that 
she's overwhelmed and unable to care for him. And you said something about like him being like an unruly child, which he wasn't. That's the thing. It's like, he was actually the opposite of that. Um, and we're going to go into that a little bit more in a, here in a second, but I think it's because she didn't really want to take care of him. You know what I mean? Like she just mm-hmm. didn't really want to do that. Um, she, and this is how she described him. So she described him as clingy and demanding. He's two. Yeah. Like a children, children do that. <laughs> yeah. He, he's a child and he wants to be cared for by his mother. Like that is a normal toddler reaction when you're fucking two. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, he then, so he then Anders goes into, he gets placed into child welfare services with a young couple. So I'm guessing this is the couple that when she applied for the care, these are the people that are going to help her. So this young couple comes to help out and they take him and they're kind of helping watch him. Um, what concerned the couple was when they brought him over, he had asked them if he was allowed to, he's two, and he asked them if he was allowed to touch the man's penis. Um, because he had no, he had to compare himself to someone because all he's ever seen was vaginas. Hmm. Being his mom and his sister. Yeah. So they were like, is he being sexually abused at home? Like, why would a two-year-old ask to see that? And why would they know what a vagina is? Like at at such a young age, you know, like I understand too, when children are around like three, it's normal for them to start playing with themselves to kind of like learn. Yeah. Or they like, just, they try to see or observe other, other things, but to actually know that terminology is a little bit extreme. Right. And he, um, a tissier or something that was like the word they used, but they were concerned that maybe he was being sexually abused at home. He wasn't, he wasn't being sexually abused, which is, I mean, thank God, like that's Mm. the one nice thing. Um, but the, um, was it yeah so that's what that's what the couple ended up telling the police was like we think he might be getting abused at home and that's kind of when more in-depth stuff comes up so then the couple actually goes to the mom and they're like hey it's now february of 1983 and um he's four so Anders is now four. He's, you know, living in the Onslow Frogner district, which is now a different name. I just, I don't have it in my notes. It's no longer the Frogner district. But that's what it was called at the time. Um, and advised, she was advised by the neighbors that um, they sought help from the actual, like the national, the national center for children and adolescent psychiatry, um, because they reported that um, they heard a lot of screaming coming from their house that she often left him alone at home while she went to work. Um, and so they advised them that maybe you guys should go seek help together. And I'm like, that is so healthy. Like, yeah. Say, Hey, the weird shit's going on. Maybe you should go get help with your child versus them just being like, I don't fucking know. Like, that's a very American way of doing things. Like we're just going to turn the other way. Like, oh yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and I would assume that probably, I mean, I'm assuming I don't have any research to back this up, but I feel like, I mean, America is so behind in this way of thinking that probably somewhere like probably in Norway, it's normal and healthy to take care of your mental health. So maybe this wasn't like an embarrassing conversation to have. I don't really know. Um, 
but she takes their advice and they go to this psychiatric facility and they were outpatient. So they weren't staying there. They would come in, do the stuff, leave, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they would stay there during the day and then they would go home. And this went on for about a month. So what happened during that month? Let me tell you what happened during that month. Um, the psycho- like, there was multiple psychologists, but one of them um, in the reports they made, they noted his, they called it his peculiar smile. Um, they realized that it wasn't at his age, it didn't match what he, what his emotions should be for how old he was. Um, and he was more so reacting to people and presenting their emotion that he felt he should. So he's like watching you. And then it's like, okay, so this should, I should smile now. And then he would give them a fake smile and they were like, it creeped them out. And they were like, okay, he's not emotionally responding like a normal four-year-old should respond. He's reading cues and he's doing what he feels society tells him he should do, which is alarming, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for a four-year-old, you got to think in context, you know, that's supposed to be more as you develop further, not you're supposed to be at that at the age of four, you'd expect somebody to just be, or a child to just be a happy go lucky, you know, nonchalant about life, really not be so concerned about what the society wants him to be because he shouldn't have that thought process yet. That's not normal. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense in the sense of like, cause she, I mean, I'm going to mention it later. It's not like a spoiler, but like, she was not only like, she was abusive to him verbally and physically abusive to him. And, um, if she already found him as like a, a newborn and a child dependent and clingy, then it's not unsurprising to me that he learned very early on that like affection is a bad thing. And that well, yeah, he and can't you be- also got to think too, with him being like left behind so much and left alone, he probably grew up super fast. I mean, an unreal fast, you know, because <laughs> you leave a four-year-old by themselves. I mean, they're either going to figure it out or they're probably going to unfortunately die, you know? Yeah. And he probably was very isolated. So he doesn't know how to act with humans. The only interaction he has, it was probably with his sister or his mom. And even then it was like, his mom was volatile. So he had to probably like, you know, walk on eggshells and like respond to her cues and like learn all that maneuvering and that behavior. Like I did, you know, Mm -hmm. like I did the same thing growing up. So I get that. So they were like, okay, that's weird. Um, To add to that, um, like I said, he didn't really have much emotional engagement. They said he didn't show joy. If he was hurt, he didn't cry. Um, And he made zero attempts to play with other children. So he didn't socialize. He was very much like a shell, you know? Yeah. Um, They said he was extremely clean. to the point that that was concerning for a child his age, like children are dirty. Like they want to go play in the dirt. Like they want to not be in the bathtub and he was extremely clean and he would become aggressively anxious. Um, if his toys were not in order, but they needed to be. Yeah. That's like some foreshadowing there. Yeah. Very, very regimented. Like I get very, like his mom was very, um, authoritarian and almost like military style is how I see him like that's very like you know what I mean yeah I don't know um so they obviously were concerned um the psychologists believe that he became this way 
um, because all he really knew were negative reactions to how he would act. Um, his mother displayed the emotions he displayed towards his mom, he would get a negative reaction from. So he had to no longer do that. Um, they, they were like, we assume that she punishes him um, and, in act and would act extremely negative. Uh, I'm sorry, I skipped a line. Do, do, do. Okay, yeah, that's where I was going with that. Yeah, she would punish him and it act extremely negative um, when he would, you know, show her any kind of emotion that she didn't care for. Um, <clears throat> they also believe that he became this weird, like, clean freak is maybe not the, the most polite term, but clean freak um, because he feared the punishment from his mom, which would make sense. Like, you're dirty, your room is dirty, and then he'd probably get in trouble. Um, and he didn't show the normal levels, like I said, of uncleanliness that a four-year-old should. Mm -hmm. he, um, he was extremely careful and controlled, again, for a four-year-old. And he had no repertoire on how to express emotions normally. So kind of going more into what I was saying earlier, um, they did say like during long phases of emotional voidness, he would rarely erupt and display extreme uncontrolled emotions. So he was a very regulated child and it was very rare for him to show any kind of emotion. And if he did, it was very volatile, but they were like, this is really concerning that he's basically a shell of a, a toddler. Yeah. That, yeah. Like I said, foreshadowing right there. Mm -hmm. um, another report from a different psychiatrist said that, um, and I quote, uh, she sexualized the young, the young Brevik. She hit him and frequently told him that she wished that he was dead. Um, and in the same report, she is described as a woman with an extremely difficult upbringing, borderline personality disorder, and an all-encompassing, if only partially visible depression, who projects her primitive aggression, aggressive and sexual fantasies onto him herself hmm. but there's no notes of sexual abuse so that's why i'm like what happened to her for her to now hate men that's where i'd be in the whole hating men yeah thing. yeah it'd be, it'd be um, i'm curious to see like i wonder why the the older sister the the daughter hasn't come forward and said anything so i'm sure she probably knows obviously everything that went on in that household, you know, and she probably has her own take on her mother. And if it is like a, a men thing or, you know, was she, how did she treat her? You know, I'm kind of curious why she hasn't said anything or why it's not known what she thinks. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's a really great point. I mean, the only thing I can think of is like, if she was already 17, 17 or 18, when he was born, I mean, he was born in 79. So she was like in her thirties when she had him. So she was already basically an adult, even though she lived at home. I wonder like how often was she really home though? And when she was home, what was she really paying attention? Right. You know, but also, you know, like did, did the mom, was she any kind of like, I mean, obviously with that borderline personality and stuff like that and all those other issues, I know it probably was fixated on probably men too, but you have to think that at some point, like she she had to do some wrong to the daughter too. 
probably like she maybe like hated all of her boyfriends or maybe she judged her like there's probably some of that going on there too yeah I don't doubt it it's also possible that she didn't like there are cases of like it's weird like there are cases of like children who are like this house was a terrible place and I got beat all the time and then their siblings like I have no idea what they're talking about my parents were great Ooh, that makes a good point though because I have I've known somebody um that had mentioned I think it was like a friend of my mom's or something like a long time ago my mom had mentioned she my mom is like she's you know total sweetheart like we all know that all my friends know that um, oh, she liked one of our posts on the Facebook page by the way <laughs> of course good old Denise. Like Denise. <laughs> um but she had told me that like if she thought it was crazy that one of the people that she had known said that she, she admitted to so they had two daughters as well and was talking to my mom because my mom had two daughters too and was like yeah I always felt differently about one of my children because I didn't have them naturally it was like a c-section so she's oh, like I never felt like I bonded with them whoa okay so it was really weird and my mom's like okay because like she had two c-sections like me and my sister you know so she she didn't have either one of us naturally, but she never associated that with treating either one of us differently. Right. But this one woman did, and she was just like t- totally taken aback by this. And then this is when like me and my sister were children. And so she had a young child as well. And my mom's like, okay. But yeah, people are, I guess people are like that. Like they just, they'll openly admit to like feeling completely different about one child versus the other, which I mean, I guess is natural, but to, it sounds like this, woman of the one you're talking about is like took it to an extreme level mm-hmm. but yeah so yeah, yeah. I just remembered that I was like that gave me chills kind of because like yeah my mom has definitely heard somebody admit to that before yeah and I didn't see anything about his sister in the copious amounts of things I researched so I think that all has to do with the fact that like their age gap was so vast that it was almost like she may as well have not even been in the picture. Cause even he says like, I have like no relationship with her. He's like, we really didn't have a relationship at all if there was one. And so it's kind of like, okay, like what could she, I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's bananas to me. Yeah. Um, the site, the overall, what was the conclusion? What was the, what was the recommendation from the psychiatrists, right? They recommend that he be removed from his mom, which is the right thing to do. And he be placed in the foster care. Yeah. Right. Like this is unsafe for him. We should put him somewhere else. So that was their (laughs) recommendation. So, because they were like, she's heavily emotionally and psychologically abusive towards him. This is an unsafe environment for this child to be in. So that was a psychiatrist recommendation. Um, I already did all that. Boop, boop, boop. That was a weird note. That was in a totally different place. Um, anyway, so that was the recommendation. The conclusion was um, that he'd be placed in foster care. But the problem was, where was it? Come on. Right. So he'd be removed from his mom to develop normally. The report from 1983 states, and I quote, Anders is a victim of his mother's projection of paranoid, aggressive, and sexual fears towards men in general. And she projects onto him her own primitive, aggressive, and sexual fantasies, all the qualities in men that she regards as dangerous and aggressive, end quote. Overall, 
the observation said that, and I quote, the family is in dire need of help. Anders should be removed from the family and given a better standard of care. The mother is provoked by him and remains in an ambivalent position, which prevents him from developing on his own terms. Anders has become an anxious, passive child that averts making contact. He displays a manic defense mechanism of, of restless activity and a feigned deflecting smile. Considering the profoundly pathological relationship between Anders and his mother, it is cruel, it is crucial, probably cruel too, it is crucial to make an early effort to ward off a severely skewed development in the boy, end quote. However, <laughs> even though this was the highly recommended conclusion from the psychiatrist who observed them for a month and worked with both of them, child welfare services did not follow this recommendation. Yeah, of course not. In, uh, they placed him in respite care only during the weekends. And um, the SSBU, which I'm assuming is probably the company where the psychiatrists were, hoped that eventually he would be placed into foster care. I mean... It's kind of like the our system though in the US though they really try to give the the parents as much possibility as possible not possibility but most much as much of a chance as possible oh my gosh if I could talk which a lot of times is not not the most beneficial unfortunately because then you know we see that too in America where people where children just fall through the cracks because you know they want to give them the benefit of the doubt and see if they can improve or if life can be better before ripping a child away from the family and in this case, they honestly should have done that. Yeah. I mean, she told psychiatrists that she was, she said in front of them, I wish he was dead. I'm like, if that's not enough, then like, she doesn't want this kid. Like, I mean, I guess the opposite, I guess to play devil's advocate for myself, it's like, then why didn't she just put him up for adoption? Right. Like, again, yeah. I think that's a control thing, right? She probably been controlled by her parents her entire life. And she's like, I'll be damned if someone else is going to do that to me. Cause it's going to come up again here soon. Um, but obviously he doesn't get put into foster care. And then your big question that maybe you haven't thought yet, but I definitely thought, I'm like, where the fuck is his dad in all this? Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, I know they got divorced, right? They got divorced and he stayed in Paris and then she went back to Norway. She got full custody, but it's like, it doesn't mean he can't see his kid. Um, so where is his dad in all of this? And I will tell you after I pee. <laughs> Great, I need chapstick. <laughs> Good idea. I'm a very like big advocate, not advocate, but I'm a definitely a big, I actively choose fashion over function. Mm, yeah. If that tells you anything about me. <laughs> yeah, same. But and like my desk is kind of small. So I'm like, I need to find something that'll fit and not look weird. I figure I'll probably go to like, like Ross or like home goods or something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it makes you feel better, I'm currently working on top of a basket. That's where the computer is set. So. <laughs> Works. On a side table on a basket. Listen, you can do a podcast anywhere. It's all I'm saying. Hey, the yeah. first episode I was on my couch with using like one of those like old school, like 
foldy TV tray things, you know? You do love a good TV tray. That, that Jackson uses, so they had paint all over it, but I had that, and then I had, like, another, like, pop-up table next to me holding the mic. <laughs> but I'll have to see if I can get a chair before then, because you guys are all make fun of me in my literal folding chair, so. I mean, I'm sitting on patio chair, so. <laughs> Roast us in the comments. I don't give a fuck. Anyway. It just shows that you don't need a bunch of fancy stuff to do a podcast. Anyone can do it. Anyone. Anyway. Okay. So where's his father, right? Where's, where's good old Jens? Well, he has no idea this is happening. He has no idea how she's treating him. He has no idea that they are in care. He's just doing his thing in France with his new wife. So he learns of the situation because it's like, they want to put him in foster care. She's abusive to him, all this kind of stuff. He learns of this and he immediately files for custody. He's like, absolutely not. Like, I am, I hate myself for not being more involved. And I'm more angry that I didn't even know about it until it got so bad. So he does try to make things right by going back to court for custody. The problem though, as you can probably guess, um, Although his mom had agreed to put him in respite care um, after he filed for custody, um, she pulled him out of respite care and they both ended up getting lawyers involved. Now you would think that he could go to the hospital and say, help me like show them that she's an unfit parent so I can get custody of my son, blah, 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 blah. And I don't remember the reason, but none of that happened. Hmm. I don't remember why. And I think I, I would assume I'm guessing here because I don't remember what I read. But my guess is because they are divorced, he has no legal rights to her medical records. Um, and so they are by no means in a legal obligation. They can't legally turn that over to him. It's kind of where my mind goes. Um, so I don't really know, remember what happened there, but basically the psychiatric facility who wanted him out of her care is basically like, we can't help you. Yeah. I mean, that's hard. I don't know. Cause like, I know here in the U S with like divorce and like children and stuff like that, you can typically either file for having like shared um, like medical power of attorney kind of over the children or um, in my guess, since he like wasn't even in the country anyways, and she had the sole custody of the child, then it must've fell back on her anyways. So that's also hard too, because now he's trying to backtrack, which he can't legally because they already signed the divorce papers. Mm -hmm. And she already got custody the first time. Exactly. And so now, they're probably like, why are you coming back two, three years later wanting custody, right? Right. So they get lawyers involved and eventually the case was dropped all overall because um, welfare services, uh, that's what it was. They thought they wouldn't be able to provide enough evidence to the court. So they, they didn't listen to the recommendation of psychiatrist. Dad now wants custody. Mom has custody, pulls the kid out of respite care. And now the child services is like, well, we should put him into foster care. And so now it's kind of like all three of them are against each other. And then they felt they didn't have enough 
evidence to put him into foster care. So eventually the whole thing gets dropped. And I'm like, this is all just a bunch of fuckery. Like, I don't under, like, she says she wants her child dead. I don't know how that's not enough evidence, you know? Mm -hmm. But again, it's also like, then put your kid up for adoption, but it's a control thing. I think there's a big control thing there. And I know I've said that a bunch of times already, but whatever. Um, so now that happens, um, one of the big reasons why they felt they didn't have enough um, evidence, and this is kind of where I'm like, this, I don't feel this is, I don't think this should have hindered their ability to try to plead foster care, because they said one of the reasons why they didn't feel they had a strong case was from the nursery staff where he had been attending since 1981. So 1981 is when he kind of starts going into this program and like the nursery that's kind of taking care of him. And they described um, Anders as a happy child. Uh, they claimed that nothing was wrong with him and um, no wrong had been done to him at all. Um, and, but at the same time, the doctors are like, they said, and they quote, urgent action is crucially needed to prevent a severely skewed development in a boy. And I'm like, no offense, but you work in a nursery. You're not a doctor. And not only that, but they had to have known, like they can't. Right, like did she, was she friends with someone in that nursery? Was he I mean, maybe. different because his mom wasn't around, you know? No, I mean, if he, there's a possibility, but if he was still like that enough for the doctors to realize it, then you would think that the nursery would too, or at least see it, you know? Right. I, I feel there's some bias in that. I feel that there's some covering up in that. I'm like, those are two contradictory statements. Mm -hmm. And it's like, sure. What do they gain by lying? But it's also like, there's two things I can think of. One fear that someone could accuse the nursery of doing him harm, causing these problems, not the mom. Liability, sure. Mm. And two, someone was friends with her. Or both. That's the only thing mm. I can think of. So anyway, so he never gets removed from the house is basically what happens. He stays, all that custody battle happens. And now we move into 1984, who he is now five. Right, he's five now. Um, and a hearing in front of, I'm not even gonna try to pronounce that name, but basically the Municipal Child Welfare Committee, um, they had a, a hearing and to decide if his mom should lose custody of him um, and Child Welfare Services lost that case. So they tried again, they lost the case. Um, it says that the agency, was represented with social workers that had no experience in representing a case in front of a committee. So they were already at a, a disadvantage. So everyone going before this committee had no way, no idea what they were doing. Um, and the ruling was that the family should just be supervised. However, uh, only after three visits, which is very um, not surprising because we see this happen all the time in America. After three oh, yeah. visits, they stopped going altogether. Um, and he was never again put in respite care or foster care. And that's the end of the legal system in his life. Hmm. So only gets better from here, right? Right. 
So now we're going to kind of move into his adolescence. I know a lot. I, I hovered on his very young childhood a lot. Um, we're about to kind of blow through a lot leading up to the case. Um, so we're kind of going to jump ahead to a 15 year old Anders in 1994. Um, he decided to, he chose to be confirmed into the Lutheran church of Norway when he was 15. Um, and then when he was between 16 to 18, he was a high school student at this point. He's a young adult. Um, and one of his former classmates recalled um, Anders as he was very intelligent. Um, he was a lot stronger than all of the other kids his age. And you would think he might have been the bully, but he actually was the one defending kids being bullied. Yeah. So I was like, okay, there's some hope there. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. maybe there's like a hero that could come out of this. And I will say like, he definitely sees himself as that. He definitely sees himself as like this vigilante type. Definitely. Mm -hmm. He calls himself a soldier on a mission. That's kind of, eh. I don't know. I, I, you hear that kind of terminology way too much when it comes to like cults and like overly religious fascist people, you know? Yep. Fascist. He definitely was. I mean, the last time I checked soldiers on missions that are good and do the betterment of the people don't write manifestos. Oh, absolutely not. That's like red flag, red flag, red flag. <laughs> Just, just know that little tidbit there too. So um, he's still living with his mom at this time and his and his elder half-sister is still living at home too. I don't know what the fuck she's doing. Um, they're, they're on the West end of Oslo. Um, and, but he's now like regularly visiting his father and his stepmom in France. And then his dad and his stepmom divorced when he was 12, whatever. Um, and around this time too, his mom remarried um, a Norwegian army officer and... I, they didn't really say anything about him, so I'm guessing it's fine. And I'm, I would assume his mom just kind of like forgot about him once he was old enough and big enough to defend himself. He probably wasn't trying to stay at home anyway. You know what I mean? <laughs> so in his adolescence, um, he went from kind of being, you know, the good guy and protecting the bullied kids to he's like, I'm going to be a rebel now. I was a goody two shoes my entire life. I had to step around my mom. He's probably at this part where he's like, I can defend myself against anybody. So I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. So he kind of becomes this rebellious type. He starts, um, <laughs> they call it like the hip hop community as like, these are basically like <laughs> ruffians, I guess. I'm like, it's the nineties. Hip hop is all the, all the rage right now. Like he's supposed to hang out with his friends and he would like graffiti and spray paint walls. I'm like, okay. Okay. Like he's not uh, all I can picture too is like back in the nineties when you'd wear like the matching jumpsuit and like pretend to do like, um, what do you call it? Fuck break dancing. <laughs> That's all I can picture. This is like super white guy in, in the all matching jumpsuit trying to break dance on a piece of cardboard. I don't know why exactly. that's what popped in my head. Exactly. Like his best friend at the time, they said he didn't really have a lot of friends and his one best friend at the time was in that community. So I think he kind of just like followed him over there because he probably had friends. And so he would graffiti walls of spray paint. He got picked up by the cops a couple of times and eventually he finally gets arrested for it when he was like 16. But in my opinion, I'm like, that's not that bad. Like if that's what you call rebellious, she like, 
Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, we won't say what we did as rebellious kids. So yeah. At a younger age. So, um, when he did get arrested for graffiti, cause he still technically was a minor, uh, welfare services gets brought back into the picture, but again, nothing really happens. Um, and to where is it? So his mom, who I don't believe, I, I think everything she says is skewed. But she says after, this is what I don't, this, this correlation makes no sense to me. She said that after he was arrested for graffiti, her, his dad ceased all communication with him. Just because right. he got arrested for graffiti? Right. Um, there, the other, the more believable one though, is like after this first arrest, like this first like arrest for him, he's now on the bad side of the law. He's now got cred. He, um, him and his friend have a blowout fight. They stop being friends. He leaves the hip hop community. He becomes very isolated. And they're like, he cut off communication with his dad. That's what his dad says. And I believe that. That makes more sense to me than her cutting off communication with, than him cutting off communication with the son. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that I can think of is if like the dad is the type where, cause I know you said he was like involved in the government if the only thing that I can think of is if he purposely decided to separate himself from the son because he's now like this rebellious like lawbreaker so maybe he didn't want that to be more well known since he's a part of the government you know it's the only thing I can think of that's a good point I mean social status is is kind of a big deal um but I mean I don't know I mean it's possible but I mean he said she said right the truth is somewhere in the middle what probably yeah. likely happened is he's in this really rebellious stage of his life. He's trying to figure out who he is. He now has completely isolated himself from everybody or anyone that he actually cared about. And he probably didn't want to talk to anyone in general. So it was probably a mutual falling out. That's probably what more likely happened. Because if your mm-hmm. son refuses to talk to you, and I have experience with this, if, if you don't want to talk to your parents and they want to talk to you, they'll figure it out. You know what I mean? Yeah. it's the 90s it's not like phones didn't exist but anyway i digress moving on um do 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 oh and his dad did say and i quote again um i was always willing to see anders despite his destructive activities at this age he also broke off contact with the hip-hop community and he fell out with his best friend so i'm like whatever Mm -hmm. Um, so he started to do now that he's isolated, he spent all of his time weight training and taking steroids, um, (laughs) to get bigger. He did say in his manifesto somewhere that, um, he suggests that you take steroids to get bigger and to train your body. Whatever. (laughs) I'm not on that subject. (laughs) Yeah. So he is lifting a lot of weights. He's taking roids. Um, and he has isolated himself. He is still obviously at home with his mom, but he's now starting to openly criticize his parents. And this is kind of where his next evolution in life has now evolved. So much like people like the Unabomber, they now become super isolated from the rest of the world. They are journaling down their thoughts, their ideas. And now he's being openly communicative about how he disapproves of his parents' uh, political views. And he didn't support that his parents um, 
were part or supported the Norwegian Labour Party. And in case you want to know what they represent, they are a social uh, democratic political party in Norway. Um, it is positioned on the center left of the political spectrum. So they're more left. He's a radical right, just so you know. Um, so he openly disapproved of their political stance. Um, and he also um, criticized his mother for being, in his opinion, uh, a, moder a moderate feminist. So remember that because that actually is important later on. We're the boy with mommy issues is now going to have an issue with feminism. <laughs> um, so he's 16. Like I said, he's been arrested for spray painting on the walls. And then he tries to be drafted. Um, it says like conscription, which basically means drafted into the Norwegian armed forces. Uh, they denied him. They're like, nope, you can't join. They said um, he was unfit for service. And so they just never let him join. So Why? it didn't work out probably for good reason that he didn't end up going into the armed forces. Not I wonder, was it like the mental like, exam that they did maybe? I don't know. I didn't, it didn't really give me much in-depth. They were just like, mm, yeah, no. I mean, you generally have to take a, an evaluation, at least in the state side, you have to. Yeah. Hmm. Curious. Okay. So we're going to fast forward to now 2002. I was in second grade at that point in time. I want to date myself. Um, he's 23 and he decides he's going to join the anti-immigration progress party. And if you don't know what they are, uh, they're a white winged political party in Norway. The FRP, which is what they call themselves, um, has traditionally self-identified as classical liberal and as a libertarian party, but is generally positioned to the right of the conservative party and is considered the most right wing party to be represented in parliament. So they don't practice what they preach, right? Uh, yeah, um, absolutely not. I'm not a huge politics person. I just know like left and right don't like each other. And it makes sense that he would go the radically opposite direction of his parents. Um, and, you know, he was super against immigration. He was a very big believer in that. He didn't believe that Muslims should be in Norway. <clears throat> very much that mentality as well. Um. So he's part of that party um, and he chaired the vocal Vest Oslo branch of the party's youth organization. I don't know what that branch was. I didn't look into the research of it, but he did that. Um, he also starts his nine-year plan, which would then finance the 2011 attacks. So it's 2002, we're nine years out. This is where he says he's starting to plan this grandiose thing and he's starting to generate funds for it. So move in pieces. He also formed his own computer programming business at this time uh, while working as a customer service at a customer service company. Um, fun fact, his coworkers were like, yeah, he was actually really great with customers and he was a really <laughs> good employee. I'm like, that's fucking weird. But he's doing this own programming business, which actually got kind of successful. He eventually was able to have six employees and he was actually able to make his first million kroner by the time he was 24. And he opened up some offshore accounts, deal with the funds. So it seems like the up and up for him. And he's saying these funds are gonna fund his, his grand plan, which that's not so great. So by 2005, he joins the gun club. 
because he tried to go to Paraguay to buy guns. Um, why, I don't know, but Paraguay is a very like low crime rate place. And he was like, how am I gonna get, he's like, I need these guns for my mission. So he makes a fake police badge and he takes out the seats in the back of his car because he's convinced it's gonna be filled with guns. He goes to Paraguay and he's like, well, what's my story? Like, I have to have a convincing story. Otherwise, they're not going to sell me these guns. And he tells them, what does he tell them? Basically, it's like for some mission or like something. And they're like, we're not selling you guns. <laughs> like, we don't like, believe yeah, yeah, sure. you. <laughs> right? They're like, yeah, we don't believe you at all. We're not going to sell you guns. And also like, you just can't buy guns in Paraguay. They're like, that's not like a thing here. Like you can do that in the US, but like not there. So he leaves Paraguay unsuccessful and he's like, how can I get some guns? So he joins a gun club because in this gun club, not only can they teach you how to shoot, it allows him to start buying weaponry. Fabulous, right? So 2006, he leaves the Progress Party. So he leaves that group um, and the company he founded has now been declared bankrupt. Um, and Anders reported... Um, and, and he was reported for breaching several laws. Probably not surprising. Yet, yeah. he would go on to finance his terrorist attack for a total of 130,000 um, pounds over the course of not only his own funds, but the additional use of nine credit cards, which obviously gave him access to credit and more funds. Mm -hmm. um, he's writing his manifesto at this point. Um, he claims in the manifesto that he lost 2 million kroner um, in stocks, but he still had about 2 million to fund his attacks. Whatever. Um, mm -hmm. He then moves back in home and back home with his mom so he can save up more money. Um, and the first set of psychiatrists after he's been arrested at this point, they're evaluating him. Um, they said that his mental health had deteriorated at this stage in his life and his preparations that he entered a state of withdrawal and isolation, which I'm like, okay, but he's already kind of been doing that. And it probably doesn't help that he's back home with his fucking mom who hates him. And yeah. it gives me a little bit of a Kemper situation. Like they probably fight all the time. And I'm like, wow, she let him back, which is weird. I don't, why would you let him back? But whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That, that doesn't logically make sense. All right, rapid fire. 2007, he's 28 years old at this point. Um, he has declared assets. I just thought this, the next couple of bullets are just like fun facts because you know how I am with numbers, but his declared assets were about 630,000 kroner, which is like 76,000 American dollars, um, according to the Norwegian tax authority figures. Uh, Wikipedia was great for some of these definitions and these numbers. That was one of my sources, but I'll get to that later. Um, so he didn't really have that many assets, but he claimed that 2 million kroner, which is 243,000 US dollars, um, and the nine credit cards that gave him access to 62,000 pounds in credits. Um, so they're like, yeah, he claims he had that. He didn't. But mm -hmm. he did have all these credit cards and everything, and he did eventually fund it, right? Like he sent 130,000 pounds on this. Um, in 2009, so he's gone bankrupt at this point. He's in debt. His assets are very small. And yet in 2008, he, uh, or 2009, he finds, he buys a piece of land and he founds a farm on it. He starts a farm. I'm like, where the fuck are you getting this money? But anyway, he gets, he starts a farming company called Beverick 
GeoFarm. Um, and he described it as a farm where the sole proprietorship was to cultivate vegetables, melon, roots, and tubers. Um, and that's not what he did at all. He used the farm to allow him access to buy copious amounts of fertilizer, which is something known to be used in farms. Um, mm -hmm. And the fun part was when he bought all of this, and if you bought a bunch of fertilizer, which would be normal for somebody who um, is running a farm, but he also did, he also used the farm's name to buy, I think I have a note in here somewhere. And if not, I'll get back to it, but I'm getting off track. So anyway, he gets this farm. He is in a, he's a part of this gun club and he ends up buying um, a semi-automatic nine millimeter Glock, a 34, or he bought a semi-automatic, a nine millimeter Glock, 34 pistol, um, all legally because he was a part of this gun club. So now he's got these things going on. He has this fake police badge, which he then goes on to buy fake police attire. So he looks like a legit police officer. So that's great. Um, and he also buys a semi-automatic Ruger Mini 14 rifle um, because he possessed a hunting license. So he was able to buy that as well. Um, and I know we're at a point in our country where gun laws are a very big topic of discussion and I won't get into that, but he should not have had any automatic weaponry. He probably shouldn't have had any weaponry at all, but that's not what happened. So, yeah, um, that's like where like, I think too, that honestly, it's like he, most people too will say this too. It's like, you know, I, I know in the East, the European countries that their gun laws are a lot more strict too, but clearly the, he found a way, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's what sucks is that you can only do so much. I swear. It's like, you know, you you only hope that these kind of people don't get access but clearly like look what he did he fucking bought a farm just so he can get fertilizer to build bombs you know like he knew to join a gun club he knew to get his hunting license so that nobody really questioned anything and he was still able to have access to this you know mm -hmm. and I don't know if they had any kind of like background checks that he had to do like maybe they didn't do background checks because their laws are so strict and it's like the only thing on his record, because he was a minor before that, was he was arrested for graffiti. So he didn't really seem like if they did, they're like, oh, well, he's not a threat. Yeah. 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 So this is, and I'll say my piece after this, but he says in his manifesto that he, um, he played video games like World of Warcraft to relax um, and Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 for training simulations. Um, he would tell the courts in 2012 during his trial that the that Call of Duty trained him um, for his shooting practice, um, and he claimed it helped him gain target practice. Now pause. You've shot a gun. You've shot a gun. I've played video games. You've played video games. Did video games make you a better shot? Absolutely not. Me either. <laughs> They're totally different. And it's really annoying. And I, I make it that a point because people love to blame video games for adolescent crimes or like it it got into their head and that's the reason. Like, no, it fucking didn't. Like, no, it didn't. There's a whole bunch of other things at play there. And you obviously have a role too if you're not in tune enough with your child. But don't, right. don't blame the video game. 
Right. Like, I mean, I'm sure it didn't help the fact, but really what the root cause is the years and years prior back when video games weren't even a thing when he was being abused. Exactly. I found that one to be a little bit of annoying point. Um, I, he's not yeah. blaming them. He's giving them credit, but I'm like, you're giving them credit for the crimes that you went on to commit. Other people are going to see that differently. Ugh. And as a reason to blame them. Hey. I paused for a second because you froze. And I didn't want to lose you. Um, and that's because like my service probably isn't that great, but that's okay. Um, okay, so now it's June 23rd, 2011. We're literally a month away from the attacks. So this is one month before the attack. Um, he pays off a bunch of his credit cards so he can have access to all of that funds again so he can make all these grandiose purchases because he's like, I'm not gonna fucking pay that back. Um, and then late June, early July, um, he's now moved, it says he's moved to this rural area, um, south of Asta in Amat. I hope I said that correctly. Um, that's where his farm was. He moves there. He moves on. He actually moves on to his farm. And according to his manifesto, um, I mean, I said this already, he already used the company as a cover. So this is what I was getting to earlier. So he buys all this fertilizer and other chemicals for manufacturing explosives. Not surprised, right? Mm -hmm. um, this newspaper, uh, Burden's Gang, reported that he bought a small quantity of explosive primer from an, an online shop in Poland under the farm's name. And because he did that, um, that... Uh, Poland shop actually put him on a list. Uh, the police security service, he actually uh, was put on their Norwegian customs report because they're like, this is a farm. They shouldn't need explosive primer and the quantities that he bought. Doesn't help anything. He gets on this list. At least they There's did something, right? They were like, they're like, this is this is good to know. You should probably know this, but nothing happened. Like no one investigated. No one looked around. So they still gave him the product though? Yeah. It still went through the customs. He still got it. Ugh. Makes zero sense. Like, mm, this doesn't seem right, but here you go. <laughs> yeah. Like we'll send it. Here's what I think happened. I mean, again, if they were suspicious, they should have just denied his order. But so I think... They shipped it and then they notified the um, customs. And then by the time customs was notified, it was already out of, out of Poland. That's what I think happened. They're like, <laughs> my theory is, is <laughs> they still wanted to make the money. So I'm sure it's probably a pretty penny that he paid, paid for that. So they're like, they sent it out and they're like, oh, wait, oops. Oh my God. <laughs> Just right. kidding. Or they were like, or Darn, he already has it, so we can't give him his money back. <laughs> yeah, or it's like, oh, customs will catch it in time. No, absolutely not. Oh, great, great, love that. Yeah, so um, one of his neighbors, so I mean, he's on this isolated farm, but obviously other farms are in the area. Um, and his neighbor described him as, so they're probably like, well, what do your neighbors think? You're over here making bombs and you're not actually farming. Like, what? 
Like, what do they think? And one of his neighbors said, and they quote, he looks like a city dweller who wore expensive shirts and who knew nothing about rural ways. <laughs> what shit? He doesn't. Um, yeah, so anyway, and just to like go to show how it's how he was so able to like pick up on social cues, the local bar that he would sometimes frequent, the owner of that bar used to be a profiler in airports. And he said, oh. I had no signs that he gave me no signals that he was someone I should be concerned about. Hmm. Isn't that weird? Like, yeah, I mean, you see that happen with like psychopaths, but it's just interesting to me. So July 22nd, 2011, we're going to, there's a lot of rapid fire um, that's about to happen. And if you've listened this far, you are, I'm giving you a warning now, the next few minutes are about to get very graphic. Um, and if you want to skip ahead, you can, um, a couple, maybe like a couple minutes to his capture, but here we go. So at 2.09 PM um, on July 22nd, 2011, um, Anders emails over a thousand people to random email addresses. Um, his manifesto, it was 1,500 plus pages, 1,516 to be exact, titled 2083, A European Declaration of Independence, is what it was titled. Um, it described his militant ideology, obviously. Um, he talked about how he hates Islam and he blames feminism. Um, for the European culture suicide. So it's all the feminists' fault that their culture is terrible. Blame the women, that's easy. Um, and he talks about how he wants all the Muslims deported. He wants to work on um, his main motive for the attacks that are about to happen is to publicize his manifesto. That's what he says. But then he also goes on to say later on that he was on a mission. So there's a bunch of lying, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, he did, just a side note, he uh, claimed to take credit for half of that manifesto. He said 50% of that manifesto he wrote, 50% of it he got from other sources or other inspirational parties, uh, such as the Unabomber. So he probably ran a, read a bunch of manifestos and he just compiled things that he liked and he put it into this big one. And he was like, this is mine. This one source that I use actually did an entire research paper analyzing his manifesto. And they actually found that um, he was actually only responsible for like 5% of it. The rest of her copy paste, copy paste, copy paste. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like even five, not five zero. So just so you know, but whatever. Um, at 3.25 p.m., he detonates a fertilizer bomb, a fertilizer bomb outside of um, the tower blocking the prime minister's house or his office in Oslo. Um, when this bomb goes off, it results in eight people dying and obviously copious others being injured. Um, the police did say that the only good thing is that it, this happened on a Friday, so there were a lot of people out of the office um, because it's the weekend. So had it been like on a Monday or a Tuesday, there probably wouldn't far more casualties.
Did I freeze again? Yeah, I just want, I, if you're talking, I can't hear you. So I just wait. It's okay. And the pauses can be edited out. So this all, I'll have to, we'll probably have to edit a few of those, but that's okay. Um, 5.17 p.m. Um, roughly two hours have passed and he's now traveled to Utoya Island, um, the site of the camp for workers youth, for a workers youth league. Um, and where he has posed himself as a police officer, he has gained access to a ferry to take him to Utoya Island um, to access where these children are. He gets access to the island um, and he immediately opens fire on everybody. Um, it takes police officers an hour and 20 minutes to finally arrest him. And during this entire time, he has now killed 69 people. Um, one being a security guard, one being one of the women who oversees the camp, um, and one youth goer as young as 14. For some reason, he left the security guard's son, who was 11, alive. Um, he doesn't really explain why he didn't kill the child, but he didn't, which, thank God. Um, but he just went around shooting all of these teenagers. Um, at one point he came across one of the structures and he's like, I'm a police officer. It's okay. Like everyone get away from the windows and I'll come inside. And they're like, okay, okay, okay. And he goes inside and he's opens fire on all these kids like huddled in this corner. And it's really fucking dark. Um, he had nothing but time. Like he's wandering around for like an hour and at one point, um, he said that, or not he said, but it's reported that he, you know, people were trying to pretend to be dead. So they would lay with other dead bodies, but because he had all this time, he would go around and investigate the bodies and he would shoot people that he found were still alive and just hiding. Was this like a pretty remote island? Like, was it kind of far off by itself? That's is that why like, he had so much time? So here's, this is really where the people get so angry with the police. So they're dealing with this bombing that's just happened. And they get a call within minutes of fire taking place on the island that someone has opened fire on the island. So police are like, we're on our way. They get to, first of all, the people who were in charge of their helicopters were off. So they had no one to drive them in a helicopter to the island. They get to where the ferry is. The ferry has left. So the ferry that dropped him off leaves in the north direction and they're the opposite direction. So they have no ferry to get them to the island. They have no boat. And what people are upset about is they're like, why did you guys wait for another boat or another ferry to take all of you why didn't you guys just take smaller boats? Why didn't you guys just like go together? And they even like ripped on them because they finally found a couple people that could take them and they took like a boat or two. And then the public was furious. They're like, you endangered these people's lives by having them take you on this boat. They were just like, the police were so unprepared for this kind of situation. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it ended up taking them almost an hour and a half just to get there. Um, and he's just roaming around the island um in one of the the, the one podcast i listened to they talk about how the island is, is like in the shape of a heart which i think is like 
morbidly beautiful in a way. Yeah. Um, and so he's just doing whatever he wants. Um, one account there was miraculously, there was one student who he shot through the head and, um, he could, he went to like, feel like what happened and he was touching his own brain and he survived. He magically survived and he still has bullet and skull fragments still in his brain because they're so close to his brain stem that they can't surgically remove them. Yeah. So it is now 6.34 p.m. Uh, police, they're basically their SWAT units, their SWAT unit Delta has gone onto the beach. They find him in the forest on the hunt and they are like, hands up and he surrenders like he doesn't fight them he doesn't say anything he just fully surrenders um and by the end of the day like or yeah by the end of the day because one of the students succumbed to his injuries in the hospital 77 people between both attacks are dead so in a matter of three hours he's killed 77 people um and he's in jail So what happened after he was arrested? So obviously he was heavily interrogated. They were like, what the fuck? He was interrogated through the night. um, And before he was put in a holding cell, he admitted to everything. I mean, he didn't hide anything. And he ended up telling him that the purpose of his attack, I mean, his manifesto said was to get his manifesto out there. He said it because he was on a mission. He tells them, well, why did I do this? Okay, let me tell you why I did this. I did this. Um, The purpose was he wanted to save Norway um, and Western Europe from a Muslim takeover um, that the Labour Party had to pay the price for letting down Norway and the Norwegian people. So these kids on this island, he said that they were the kids of the elite, the future of these like liberal parties, these Marxists, like he's, he's told kids, like he was screaming to these kids in their face, like today you die Marxist liberals. Like he was telling them that and shooting them. And he's like, well, I had to hit them where it hurt. And how does he know though? Like, was this like a, like a specialty camp or something? Or was this just like a plain old summer camp? really sure um there's like some small notes about it i do know i here's why i think he targeted the camp i think he targeted the camp because the prime minister went to that camp to go talk to the students or the the camp goers Mm. and he wanted to kill the prime minister and he missed the prime minister because the prime minister came the day before that makes sense and he yeah so the this prime minister had a fucking angel because he misses the prime minister by 24 hours and he blows up the prime minister's office building and the prime minister wasn't there. <laughs> so that's why I think he targeted this island is because of that. And sure, maybe um, like I watched this movie. Uh, I almost done with this movie. I was watching on Netflix about it called July 22nd. And, um, and again, it's a movie. So how much of it is dramatized, whatever, but two of the kids, one of the kids is the kid who had his brain. He survived the brain injury. Um, his mom was like the mayor. So it's like, it's probably some higher political party people's kids, but it's like a ton of people, you know what I mean? Yeah. So 
that's what my theory is. Um, he referred to himself, I hate to say there's a little truth to this, but he referred to himself as the greatest monster since Kinsling. And if you don't know who Kinsling is, he was a Norwegian military officer um, and politician and Nazi collaborator who who nominally headed the government of, Nor of Norway during the country's occupation of Nazi Germany during World War II. They also said that this crime, this attack, this terrorist attack is what he did, was the worst crime or the second worst crime second to the invasion of World War II and the Nazis. That's how like, big his crime was in Norway at the time. It still is. So yeah. I hate to say there's a yeah. little bit of truth there, but he's not wrong. And it's gross that he prides himself on that. So his trial, it's 2012, he's gone to trial. And I had said before that he was evaluated by psychiatrists because they were like, because his defense lawyer, and this is kind of where I get annoyed. And that's like a, a side thing is like, he was like, well, we need to play plea insanity. You need to of plead course. Yeah. Um, and so he's evaluated by two forensic psychiatrists before his trial begins. Um, they diagnosed him with paranoid schizophrenia. Um, that was criticized. Um, and then his, their second evaluation concluded that he, he was not psychotic during the attacks, but he did have narcissistic personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder, which I'm like, yeah, that I agree with, but they did deem him competent to stand trial. So they deemed him competent to stand trial. Um, his insanity plea basically is a wash and he is ultimately found guilty of mass murder and causing a fatal explosion and obviously terrorism. I get really annoyed with the insanity thing because like, I understand the term insanity plea is not the same thing when we think of the term insanity, but it just really is annoying to me that it's like, it's so hard for people in general to comprehend that somebody can literally be very, you know, conscious and not under the influence of a psychosis, of a disease, of any kind of um, altering medications or drugs or alcohol and want to do these things because they can, or because they're like, this is what I should do, regardless of knowing that it's wrong. Like he premeditated this for nine years. He mm -hmm. did all of this pre-work and people are just like, well, what other reason than he's insane? And it's like, you're so blissfully naive. And it's, it pisses me off because it, really continues to paint a bad light on mental health and getting treatment for mental health because then people stigmatize it's like everyone who's committed these crazy crimes is because they're crazy and it's like not really mm -mm. like Edmund Kemper is a great example like he was very like I'm not saying he didn't have issues but he was very like oh no I know what I did and I know it was wrong yeah so there's my there's my rant yeah that. yeah it, it really does like I agree like you know, so many people are afraid of like mental health and stuff like that. And when people come out saying like, Hey, I have, you know, the schizophrenia or I do have bipolar or whatever, they automatically assume that you're a violent person, which that's most of the time, not the case at all. You yeah. know, it's just, there's that select view. And then they, people fixate on that because it's such an extreme, but 
I mean, most of the time, I mean, clearly, like you said, he planned this for nine years. So I don't, that's not, that doesn't scream insanity to me at all. That to me, that seems that there's somebody that has deep rooted issues that decided to do something extremely awful and planned it for nine years because he's probably kind of on the intelligence side and literally wanted to pre-plan it as much as he possibly could. And clearly it, it, it was effective because he killed 77 people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it and wasn't like, like he woke up the day before all of a sudden, like he's hearing voices in his head yeah. and then he decides to go shoot people. No. Exactly. That's not what happened. And like, that's, what's hard about people like, especially with like schizophrenia or like bipolar is like, just mental health awareness if you don't know like the majority of people who have these like these diagnoses they're not dangerous people you know like they're not dangerous people like yes there can be manic episodes or bad episodes but the majority of them are not going to harm you in the way that these select few have harmed people you know and you said it earlier a lot of times it's because they fell through the cracks or they were ignored or they were neglected or they sought treatment and then it was so traumatizing they stopped seeking treatment or it's like whatever you know so great anyway oh yeah and he also said i didn't make this note but i remember um listening to it on the podcast that i listened to and it made me like it, it was really gross to me you know, he was like, well, what happened? Uh, he basically like the death of all of those people or like those children. He's like, it's really, he's like, it's really sad, but it was, it was necessary. Like that basically like the ends justifies the means. He's like, yeah, it was really sad. It was really unfortunate, but it was, but this was necessary. This was like a necessary thing that had to happen to progress us in the right direction. I'm like, really? Okay. But yeah. anyway, so he's found guilty. August 24th, 2012, he's sentenced to the maximum civilian criminal penalty in Norway. Listen, America is different. I need you to know this is in Norway, not in America, because this wouldn't fly in America. Um, I'm not saying that the Norwegian justice system is bad by any means. Probably got a way better setup than ours, because America is fucked. But this, like, blew my mind. Um, He got a maximum of 21 years in prison. Um, in addition to preventative detention, what is in, what is preventative detention, AKA it's basically Norway's version of the life sentence, but not the life sentence. So he gets a maximum of, he gets up to 21 years. They have to serve at least half of their sentence before they're eligible for parole. Once they're eligible for parole, if it gets denied, then they have to serve the rest of their sentence. And then at the 21-year mark, if it's denied again, if they're denied release, they can continue to extend the sentence every five years. So if the courts find them, you're still danger to society, which this fucking guy is, um, we will extend it by five years. And at five years, if we still don't feel that, if we still feel that way, it's another five years. So it could essentially become a life sentence, but every year, once every year, they have the eligible to the eligibility to like partition or whatever parole. So if 21 years passes and he gets extended five years, every year for those five years, he could petition for parole and potentially get it. What well, I don't understand, well, here's what I don't understand is they said that he was eligible for, eligible for parole only after 10 years, not 14. 
Oh. Make that make sense. <laughs> he did a terrorist attack and tried to kill the prime minister. And they're like, 10 years. Okay. Okay. Um, so that's what that means. Um, so what that means is if he was sentenced in 2012, this January, this past January, he actually went up for parole. That was 10 years. Isn't that bonkers to think like this was just like 10, just have been 10 years since this dude was arrested. He went up for parole. Um, he denied his parole. He denied to go because he's like, I don't believe in this justice system. He's like, I don't believe in your legal system. Um, and he's like, I'm not doing that. <clears throat> he said, where's my note? I want to read you what he said. It was fucking brilliant. Um, blah, 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 blah. yeah, he decided not to appeal. Uh, he said this would legitimize the authority of the Oslo district court. So he was like, nah, I don't believe in your justices. And I was like, great. Love that for us. Yeah. yeah. So like, uh, he denies that. Um, brilliant. <laughs> so that means he's eligible for parole or he's, I'm sorry. He's now eligible for release by 2033 technically per his sentencing. If he is still deemed a threat, which, duh, um, his sentence will again be extended for five years, but he can petition for parole every year of those five years until he's re-evaluated again. So that means that there is a real possibility, Shannon, that he could be released during our lifetime. For some reason, I feel like if he does, I mean, actually, I, not for some reason, we know if he does happen to get out, clearly his mindset has not changed. The, oh, the yeah. dangerous thing and the scary thing is, is like, you know, what, what would he do next? You know? That's what I, I honestly think one he's in, um, he's, he's isolated. He's in like maximum security. Like he's not, here's the shitty thing though. The jails in Norway are baller and they get to like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They like, he gets to play video games. He gets to like go out on the weekends and like do things. Like he's literally living like a dorm life, like a supervised dorm life. I forget what, like I was watching. I feel like it was like on Netflix or something like that. It was about like the world's prisons or something like that. And it like interviewed a guy in Norway, but he was like from, I think like the U S or something like that. He like smuggled in something or other. So he got sentenced to time there. And he said, honestly, this is better than my life in the U.S. Yeah, I saw that same thing. And I'm like, so people are outraged. Here's what, he's isolated from other people because it's like, I would, I mean, in America, he would have been killed by prisoners if he wasn't put in <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, solitary confinement. You know what I mean? I think if he gets out and now this is my American brain being like, well, this is what we would do in America. I would assume like he's not, 77 targets on his back and everyone the statistic i'm about to throw at you is bananas and everyone who is attached to that 77 that well someone's gonna kill him <laughs> someone is waiting to assassinate this guy and i don't think anyone's gonna be upset about it his mom mm-hmm. won't i'm saying it if she's not already dead i don't know but there you go oh. okay So since his imprisonment, wrapping things up here, he has identified himself shockingly as a fascist uh, and a Nazi. 
who practices Odinism. And if you don't know what Odinism is, it's basically the religious practice of um, basically Nordic, like very, um, what is it? It's like pre-pagan religion. So like make that make sense. Was it pre-Viking? I'd say Vikings. I'd say I hear like Odin. So I think of like the Vikings, but it's like pre-paganism and whatever that is, is basically what I got from my research. And I'm like, make that make sense if he's also a Nazi. Yeah. He's bonkers. He's, he's bananas. Anyway, so in 2016, um, he sued the Norwegian Correctional Service. Oh, why? Because he claimed his solitary confinement violated his human rights. How dare <laughs> How dare they? Um, they concluded that his rights had not been violated and uh, they shut it down in the same year. They're like, no, your rights were not violated. In 2017, he then filed a complaint that his human rights were violated, which they dismissed his case a year later. They're like, no, you're fine. <laughs> So you're probably asking, well, what became of Lisa? This whole long journey he did at the beginning of the story, whatever became of Lisa, who was one of those campers on uh, the island? Well, today she lives on her own farm and speaks to schools and groups, sharing her story and bringing awareness to mass shootings and her survival. Um, she is happy and feels incredibly safe in her home and on her farm. And Beverick cannot wait, can't wake her in the dead of night any longer. So Lisa's doing okay. Oh, but what about Norway? What has become of Norway since then? Yeah, did they like improve anything at all? So I already kind of told you the perspective of like, this is how big this crime was if it was second to World War II. 25% of Norwegians actually have a connection to one of those 77 victims. 25% of Norwegians. Like that's a huge percent of their population, which is why this was such a huge case. Can honestly say I didn't see anything about improvements on anything. Um, as I kind of mentioned already, the police got huge amounts of backlash and uproar from the communities but I don't really think anything's changed. They were kind of like, okay, so will be better prepared next time. I mean, that's a shitty thing to say, but like anyone yeah. from Norway, tell me if I'm wrong. Give me an update if anything has changed since then. Yeah, um, yeah, I know like like minimal amounts about like law enforcement and stuff like that and other countries, especially European countries, but from some people that we know, I mean, like you used to live in England for a short while there. It's it's very, very different. Um, I think I think I saw like a documentary one time about like there was a U.S. police officer and he'd go visit like his brother-in-law like in England and he was also a police officer and he was just comparing like the differences like they don't even carry guns over there like for protection or anything like that or any kind of weapons at all. So I mean, obviously there's pros and cons to that. We can get into a huge story about that, but at at some level they still need to be prepared. They can't just expect, oh, it's Norway. It's never going to happen, you know, because clearly it did. And that's always how these things go. It's always like, it'll never happen to us. And then it happens. Now it's this extra level of readiness, you know? Mm -hmm. So I found this and I kind of wanted to read some of it. The prime minister, uh, Jens Stolenberg, 
not to be to be confused with Jens, his father, um, held a press conference not long after his capture. Uh, obviously, this impacted him because <laughs> he was a target. But he said, and this isn't his entire speech, but these are just some of the things that I was able to find. He said, and I quote, no one will bomb us to silence. No one will shoot us to silence. No one will ever scare us away from being Norway. You will not destroy us. You will not destroy our democracy or our, or our ideals for a better world. Attacking one of the most peaceful places, a political youth camp, is especially brutal, an act of cowardice. The country's priority now, he added, oh, I, I didn't cut that out. He added, was comfort and care for people who have lived through a nightmare, which very few of us can imagine. So this was just some of his, I actually like got some goosebumps, but that's um, part of his basically speech to the people. Sources. What all did I use? Um, websites, I used bbc.com, wikipedia, britannica.com, apnews.com, researchgate.net, and theguardian.com. I listened to the podcast Lights Out. Um, I've definitely listened to them before. It's a very cool podcast. Definitely give it a listen. Um, and they did something on their podcast that I would like to do um, because it's such a relatively relevant um, crime and it affected so many and because of just its brutality and the gruesomeness of it, they gave a moment of silence for the victims and their families. So I would like to do the same. Agreed. Okay. And then to wrap up my sources, I watched the movie on Netflix. It's on there still called 22 July. It is not a documentary. It's not a docu-series. It is a like reenactment movie. Um, I was getting very angry. The guy who plays Anders does a very good job of um, embodying that type of personality. So if you're interested, go give it a watch, but I will give you a warning. You do see kids being shot. You do see all of that. It's very, um, it's weird because the first like 30 minutes of the movie is the entire crime. The rest of the movie is the trial and the this and the people involved. And like, it's very interesting. It's definitely different from what you would expect, but that's what I got for you. I know this was a long one. I'm sorry. I tangent a lot, but that's what I got. Our crazy own Jason Voorhees, if you will. Sad. That's sad. Hopefully, I, I hope and pray to God that he doesn't somehow fall through the cracks and gets to do this again. But I guess only time will tell. 
yeah, I mean, we'll have to re-talk about it when, when his next trial comes up. So mm-hmm. fingers crossed. I mean, cause right now he's only 43. Yeah. So just being like probably late fifties and maybe early sixties tops. Mm-hmm. If he gets out, if I mean, or out. if he gets cold. Anyway, that's what I got. Thank you guys for still being here. I know that was a really heavy episode. Um, I said I would make you depressed. So that's what I got. But let us know. Reach out to us. Um, you can find us at takdpodcast at gmail.com. Please send us an email. Remember what I said. Um, how do you celebrate movie season and where you're from? Would love to know. Um, you can find us on Facebook at Ticket Killer to Brunch. You can find us on our website. Send us a message or listen to the show at www.ticketkiller2brunch.wordpress.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter where you can DM us. You can interact with us. Please do. We don't fight hard um, at TAKTV Podcast. <laughs> Did I miss anything? Uh, oh, I don't think so. Wonderful. Well, again, thank you guys so much for being here. I appreciate it if you made it this far, Shan. I appreciate you. It's been a long day. Um, ooh, we can do it right this time. We'll cheers before we forget. Oh. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye.